Many of the readings and words you will hear today are taken from materials compiled for The Promise and the Practice, a campaign launched in 2016 to raise $5.3 million in support of the Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the UU faith. As you may or may not know, in the late 1960s, Unitarian Universalism was asked to take steps to address the silencing and marginalization of Black Unitarian Universalists. Though there was an initial affirmation of this commitment, the commitment went unfulfilled, and the promise was broken. The money promised by vote of the General Assembly went unpaid, and a major rift occurred, with many of our Black members leaving. In 2016, the UUA formally recognized this grievance and pledged reparation by full support of an effort to center the voices, lives, and experiences of BIPOC UUs. This service, our annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. service, marks our effort to move into closer reconciliation with our history and into reparation with the Black, Indigenous, and people of color in our faith. We are Unitarian Universalists. When we lift up our seven principles, some of us think of them as a form of theology, but they are more important to our collective than that. They do not tell us what we should believe, they tell us how we should be. They tell us how we should act in the larger world and with each other. Today, we are confronted by the fact that Unitarian Universalism has fallen short of the image that was presented to the world and to many of those who embrace this religion. But we are also here today with the truth that Unitarian Universalism has shifted course to move toward a place of wholeness, a place that perhaps never existed as a denomination. It has been a long and sometimes unforgiving road to today, but we are here because we are mindful that in the past and because we have hope for our future. We want the practice of this faith to be a fulfilling manifestation of its promise. So open your hearts, seek new ways of understanding. Come, let us worship together. We light our flaming chalice as a beloved people, united in love and thirsting for restorative justice. Melt away the tethers that uphold whiteness in our midst. May it spark in us a spirit of humility. May it ignite in us radical love that transforms our energy into purposeful action. This chalice of audacious hope. This chalice shines a light on our shared past, signaling our intention to listen deeply, reflect wisely, and move boldly toward our highest ideals. So this weekend is the weekend we set aside to honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know a Unitarian Universalist who does not consider him to be one of the prophets and martyrs of our times. He spoke powerfully with a voice of conviction and words that reverberate through time. Let me read just a few of his quotes. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, he wrote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And this is a quote from 1957, a speech he gave where he said, the non-violent resistor must often express his protest through non-cooperation or boycotts. But non-cooperation and boycotts are not, <clears throat> are not ends themselves. They are merely a means to awaken a sense of moral shame in our opponent. The end is redemption and reconciliation. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community, while the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness. Dr. King had a vision that can bring me to my knees sometimes. He had a vision of a beloved community. This beloved community happens when people of diverse racial, ethnic, educational, class, gender, sexual orientation, backgrounds, and identities come together in an interdependent relationship of love, mutual respect, and care that seeks to realize justice within the community and in the broader world. So many of us have the same vision. We bend our will and our energy to bringing this beloved community into actualization. Sometimes we're working together and creating this as a whole, and sometimes we fall short. I don't know how many of you know the history that Martin and Coretta King attended Unitarian churches when they were first married, and they considered joining this denomination. But ultimately they realized that they would not be able to build a mass movement of black people in this liberal faith. Why is that? What is it about us that does not seem invigorating or engaging to, for everybody? What gets in the way of us actualizing that vision we have of a diverse, loving community? Well, the Reverend Paula Cole Jones, who's the Director of Racial and Social Justice in the Joseph Priestley District, see, she suggests that part of the problem is that we hold two different paradigms at the same time. We have the UU Seven Principles, which Margaret reviewed earlier and I spoke of in a sermon in the fall. And we have this vision of the beloved community. And she came to realize that a person can be a good UU and they can follow the seven principles that call us to confront our personal relationships with others. But there is no imperative to directly confront racism or address oppression at a systemic level. And the reality is that there is something biased about us UU congregations are fundamentally white in membership. We gravitate to a European American culture and the manner of how we worship and how we conduct our business. And we are predominantly Anglo in our leaders. So subsequently are rarely challenged to examine the white culture that we live in. And while we have done a good job at fighting racism, such as during the civil rights movement, we actually have a mixed record in areas of racial justice. For instance, we often name Thomas Jefferson to be one of our founding ancestors, and yet he was a slaveholder. And Unitarians are notorious for in the early days, 
being proponents of eugenics. If you're white, and many of us are, it's easy to ignore these issues, and that's just the point. It's easy to dismiss or pay no heed to the race of our leadership or the style of our worship services, and that allows the system to continue. It isn't that we don't just see it, it's that we see it but can choose to ignore just we can see it but continue the way we have been going hoping we'll move beyond it without directly naming the harm or the damage done and i'll tell you a story when i was doing my internship i was with the reverend dr natalie fenimore a black woman who serves our uu churches when i was in, ordained in the ministry in june of 2019 dr fenimore flew out to Prescott, Arizona to be part of my ceremony. She stayed for the long weekend and before she left, I took her to lunch at the historic restaurant in downtown Prescott. It's called The Palace. The Palace is famous because it served many well-known cowboys such as Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp back in the 1870s. And again, in July of the year 1900, the downtown area of Prescott was raised by fires, and as the flames kept crept closer to the famous watering hole, the palace, the cowboys, afraid of being interrupted in the midst of their drinking and gambling, picked up the entire hand-carved Brunswick bar and carried it out of the building to the plaza across the street where they continued their drinking. And we reenact taking this bar out of the building every July 14th. So I was amused to take Reverend Fenimore to this restaurant. And I was amused when I entered the bar to see that the wait staff were all dressed as cowboys and flophouse women. But after the food was served, the wait staff gathered around the piano to sing to us. And the song they chose to sing was Dixie. I sat at the table looking down at the book I had just purchased next door. The book was, So You Want to Talk About Race. And I sat at the table looking at the woman across from me who had fled the racial tensions of Alabama as a child. And I listened to the words of a song lamenting the loss of a white dominant culture. But the truth is this. This was not the first time I had eaten at the palace. And my guess is that they had probably sung this song to me before, but I could afford to be oblivious to the harm of it and dismiss it as quaintly comical. I didn't fully realize or take in the type of benign complicitness that can be foundational for a cultural oppression. I can be complicit in a white supremacy culture without even noticing the trouble is that if we don't actively attend to the racism in our culture, and this is the culture of our country as well as of our faith, if we don't actively attend to the racism, it gets ignored. The two worst crime crises in the history of the Unitarian Universal Association have both been related to race. In the 1960s, as we mentioned earlier, there was a terrible conflict at the annual General Assembly that resulted in a mass walkout of our black membership and huge divides within congregations over racial equity. 
And in 2017, leadership of the UUA fractured with many of the national leaders resigning suddenly over hiring practices that were called into the open as implicitly biased. The racial reverberations of that have certainly not settled down even to this day. During our moments of conviction and positive action, we make strong commitments. In 1997, we voted at the General Assembly to become an anti-racist, anti-oppression, multicultural institution, and initially funded workshops and programs to support this. But by the year 2000, much of the funding and support had declined. Meanwhile, in our larger culture, racism is accelerating, witnessed by mass incarceration, a racially biased criminal justice system, police violence against people of color, Supreme Court decisions on voting rights and affirmative action that permits discriminatory practices, and an elected leadership, still in leadership right now, that openly supports white supremacists. UUs need to take strong leadership to reverse this trend, not only with workshops and programs, but by fundamental structural change. I'm gonna circle back to the Reverend Jones and her dilemma regarding how to promote the vision of beloved community that we hold. Because she came to realize that if we don't establish a way to keep our attention on racism, our interests will drift and it will perpetuate the same mistakes we've made in the past. For this reason, she and countless other people have recommended that we expand our seven principles to eight. The eighth principle that has been proposed reads thusly, thusly. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and in our institutions. There are some who argue that we don't need this eighth principle, that the original seven principles incorporate everything we need to be anti-racist. And yet, we have been enmeshed in racial tensions countless times. I suggest that until we explicitly commit ourselves to the work of anti-racism and anti-oppression and address it in a systemic level, we will continue to repeat our harms and not advance toward the community we dream of being. The fact is, this country was founded on a system of chattel slavery, and most of us in this Zoom room have been benefited from this without even being aware. As a country and as individuals, we have not fully acknowledged the harm, we have not apologized, and nor have we attempted to make reparation and until we do, our founding ways will continue to wreak havoc on our current communities. Some months ago, I was asked by someone here if we couldn't hang a Black Lives Matter sign on our church. And of course we can. And I hope that we do. I believe we should. But I don't think that we should do that because it's a nice idea or because it feels like the right thing to do. We should do that because we have engaged in the work of understanding all this means, including our complicitness with the system that favors whites. 
And we should do this because as a community, we have committed ourselves to the work of making Black Lives Matter. Supporting the adoption of the eighth principle, hanging Black Lives Matter banners, saying we are a welcoming congregation, all these come out of the work we do behind the scenes, making these things real and integral to our understanding of who we are together. I want to enclose by reading the eighth principle again, because I hope we can commit to it and see how it impacts our understanding of ourselves and the community we are about. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and in our institutions. Blessed be. Amen.